This episode of the What's Real podcast is dedicated to Vinny Fusca. What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode 20, definitively, of the What's Real podcast. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my main man with the motherfucking plan himself, the J, Jared Bajoris. How the fuck are you? Uh, it's another pumped-up, pulsating, pulsation nation. Nice little purple hue over the pit here in Pittsburgh, PA. Hey, Ed, because the What's Real podcast has hit the big 2-0. 20 episodes, baby, so... Nice and pumped up and ready to shoot the shit with my main man, Mr. Hate Eel himself. Uh, the show's going to be drunk as hell next week, apparently, because it's the 21st episode. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm down for that. I'm half Irish. Yeah, there you go. So we're just going to do a completely blacked out show next week, so stay tuned for that. Um, also, it was Mother's Day this past weekend, uh, so happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Uh, I'm guaranteeing you not one of them is listening. Happy Mother's Day to all the goddesses out there. And yeah, we probably have a very minimal amount of female listeners, I'm sure. But <laughs> you ladies out there, we would love and worship you and you make the world go round. Much love on your day. Even though it was, you know, as, as with everything we're experiencing within pandemic life, um, just another surreal holiday uh, of the ones that we've been spending um, you know, not being able to kiss your mother on Mother's Day is pretty goddamn weird. Yeah, because, uh, you know, everything's weird in sci-fi land where we now live. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's it, it was fine. Like, I'm not going to sit here and complain or anything like that. But, you know, everything's super weird. So it, it just kind of is what it is at this point. You did get to see your mom, though? I did, yeah. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah, um, I did as I, well. I, we, we went over, and luckily it was a pretty nice day. Um, not the warmest, but I like that because I get hot pretty easily. So even though it's May and in the, the 50s and sometimes 40s right now, um, it was still really sunny on Mother's Day. So we were able to socially distance on, on the back uh, porch of my parents' house. So it was, it was good just to at least see them and my sister's family and you know all the kiddos together and stuff, even though it's you know kind of staying back from each other and the again, the weirdness of the pandemic lifestyle, but still good to be in there in person. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, it, like we said, it's kind of affecting everything too, because, um, I did something this weekend too, that I haven't done in a really long time. And, uh, it just so happened Saturday night. I was kind of at home because of, this is something else being in Pittsburgh. And I, I noticed this with a few friends too, that live in a, a lot of other places, like on the East coast and stuff. Um, but snowing over the weekend, um, so that was stupid because we're getting snow in May, something that usually never happens. Uh, but my, my dad's 73, hey, Ed, and he said in 73 years living in Pittsburgh, that's the first time that he's ever seen snowfall in the month of May. It, it has happened in April. We, we've even personally experienced that, but never May, 74, almost 74 years. Yeah, so that was terrible. Um, but anyway, what it led me to is on Saturday, I was just at home. Like we weren't really doing anything at all. And, uh, I ended up, there was like nothing on TV and I, I wasn't even thinking about it at the time, but I put on UFC, uh, cause they had the prelims on ESPN. 
And I'm like, okay, well, there's nothing on. What the fuck? You know, let's see. Especially, too, because we were talking about it last week, and there's a few fighters that I was very familiar with that were fighting, so I'm like, why not? And uh, it ended up being really good, like surprisingly good, like from the jump. Like there wasn't a bad fight. I think they had four or five of them on, and like every fight was solid, everything. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I was talking on last week's show when we were previewing the UFC event. I had assumed at that time that it was just on ESPN Plus because they'll they'll have uh, fight cards on ESPN Plus, and if you're obviously a subscriber of it, you, you get those fights, and that's what I thought it was. That's that's how I was talking during the preview. I, I then went on to find out that it was UFC Plus pay per view, and there there was a thing he had on, online that I caught that it was like. There's a special deal for um, ESPN Plus subscribers that you get a rebate on the UFC pay-per-view. So I'm like, oh, cool. Maybe if it's like, you know, half-priced or, you know, significant off, I might just straight up get it. It was like 65 bucks. I'm like, what kind of deal is that? Like, what is it normally, 70? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What is it normally? At this point, I thought I guess seventy. I don't. Jesus, because I, I thought they were still around normally, sixty or sixty-five, maybe. But I haven't ordered one in literally like ten years. That's what I was gonna say. Like when we were talking last week, it's been a long time, and I, I still follow. As I mentioned, I'm more of a casual fan than hardcore. But even being a casual fan, I catch a lot of events, but I get them with friends and everything. So I don't even you know, see the price tags on them. But yeah, I thought that was funny. It's like, yeah, you get a rebate and then I look it up. It's like, it's still 65 bucks. I'm not spending that on my, on my own. And, and I've tried the, the fire stick to be honest before. And it's a mess. I usually can't find them. Yeah. It's either, either you find them and they keep dying and stuff. Like, I think those days are kind of over, especially for UFC. Cause like, I remember years ago, you used to like, it would be nothing to find a stream. And I'm talking like almost 15 years ago. That was like a regular thing like uh stream it you know what i mean uh but it's just harder and plus like i told you before when we talked about it like that with more and more of these shows i just don't really even care to watch them half the time um occasionally yeah like it depends on who's fighting and stuff like that but um i don't know like watching the pre-show this time kind of made me want to see it uh like i was even like looking for a stream myself and i couldn't find one um but there was no way I was going to order it on pay per view because I'm just not spending. I'm not spending anything on that, let alone sixty five bucks or seventy bucks or whatever the fuck it is now. That's just insanity to me. This this one just it had a lot of aspects to it that were appealing to me. As far as uh, we've been discussing it week to week on the podcast, again within the pandemic living of being huge sports fans and really fiending for sports. Like we're crackheads for sports, even like, you know, being pretty pumped up for just like a virtual NFL draft and stuff, just cause it's a taste of sports. And, you know, of course the last dance giving you a little bit of, of a taste of that. So, you know, other than professional wrestling, UFC was the first live, you know, and with professional wrestling, of course, being sports entertainment, this was the first actual professional sport to hold a live event since the pandemic began and, you know, everything uh, ceased. So that was a very interesting thing going in. And then as you were alluding to, Hey Ed, they completely loaded the card um, to the brim. I mean, you know, even the pre-show pre-show alone had uh, a lot of names, even from Michelle Watterson, uh, the main event in quotes of the um, preliminaries was Anthony Pettis against Cowboys, which Ferrari. is a really good fight. And, too. Yeah. And I don't know if you caught it. The, 
the highlight to me of the prelims, and I only watched the prelims and then just did my usual research of the, the main card after the fact, uh, but my, my top match of the prelims was uh, Vicente Luque versus Nico Same. Price. Did you catch that Unbelievable one? Unbelievable fight. Oh, my God. They could not – neither dude could knock fights. each other out. And the, the one dude did yeah, like they were just, he had him at one point, it looked like, because the dude fell. But – it, I mean, yep. that was, and it was crazy too, because if you, you hit him with what well, I was going to say, did you notice this? The the dude, the price dude, he was, his face was fine. And after that one shot, it basically turned his whole eye into hamburger, like one punch. He looked like Rocky. Yep. It was ridiculous, yep. but it was a good fight. That was and definitely, that was Dr. Stop I'm it. so glad you said that too, because I definitely thought that was the best fight of the night. Oh, from what I saw, um, you know, just, just to cover it. Cause you know, Big, packed 20th What's Real show. I mean, we got a lot to cover today. Um, so in, within the main card, uh, there was a, a fight with Fabricio Verdum that was a former heavyweight champion. Uh, he lost in a split decision. Uh, like you mentioned, hey, at the Pettis-Cerrone uh, fight, uh, that was a really good fight. Um, that was went to Anthony Pettis in a unanimous decision. Which was crazy. Uh, I, we had previewed, Dude, I, th- I don't know about yeah, you, but like – and I know how they don't really do this, but it's like – that fight should almost been a draw. I, I hate decisions. I really do. You know, any any I say this ad nauseum. Anything in sports that comes down to being subjective, that's the whole point of sports is taking out subjectiveness and opinion. You know, it's like you could be the worst team ever, and if you win, you win. You know, so whenever decisions come into play, and it's some of these judges are known to be horrific in the UFC. But yeah, that was another case from from how I watched it. I only watched it one once through. Um, so usually you, you get a better um, take on it when you watch a fight numerous times. But just from one, one run through, I'm with you. I think it, it should have just been pretty much a tie. I didn't I didn't see Pettis having a definitive advantage over Sharon. Well, I mean, put it this way. Like, they don't really do the ties. I know, you know, every round is, you know, like a 10-9 or whatever. But it, it's just the, the type of thing. Like, even here in the scoring, it was like all the judges – like, you know, went with the same guy. Like, you know, they all had the same score, and I'm just like, that's crazy to me. That it, yeah, as you yeah, Like, it shouldn't have been – sh- even a split decision would have been better than that, but whatever. Yeah, they were all 29-28. Yeah, and that's that's ridiculous, like, the way that it, it – I don't know. I just thought it was terrible. But, it, you know, the fight was good. I'm not even shitting on it, and it's just – it's crazy, too, because Cerrone, I saw uh, fourth straight loss in UFC – uh, which, you know, yeah. I mean, everybody gets older, but that's still pretty wild to see that. I mean, I guess he's going to keep fighting. That's the word from what I understand. That's that's stemming from he had the, the hottest win streak. So talk about ups and downs. You go from having the hottest uh, win streak in the in the company to four straight losses. So, yeah, pretty crazy there. Uh, and, again, just to, to round out the card real quick here, we'll, we'll move on because um, we got a lot to cover. Greg Hardy, um, we, we previewed that, the former NFLer, uh, kind of controversial, uh, but he's actually looking pretty good in the UFC heavyweight division. Uh, another win for him. That was another unanimous decision, but he did uh, dominate that fight from, from what I saw in red. Uh, Calvin Catter defeated Jeremy Stevens. He destroyed uh, him. Round TKO. Yeah, so that's another guy, Hey Ed, that's, that's a vet that, that, that lost. So, you know, a lot of these guys that are named guys are, are getting older. So when you see him on the card, uh, you think, you know, they, they might be kind of revamping their careers, but a lot of those guys are taking the L's. And, um, you know, the top three fights, Francis Magano, man, 
He just continues to destroy people. Huge knockout in the first round of Rosenstrike. Um, that, that was unbelievable. Did oh, you catch he, that that was insane. He's one of the scariest yeah. dudes that I've ever seen. Oh, hands down. Like legit, down. like, and I and I yeah. mean, like Tyson's get like dudes are afraid of him. Scary, like that's gonna start happening. Yeah, his his punch power is you know maybe up there. Well, all and time. they said too, um, um, maybe for sure. I was that. reading something Saturday night where they were like, "Well, there, there's really nothing Dana White or anyone else can do at this point. He his next fight has to be a title shot." So, and I, I yeah. mean, come on. Like why? Unless he doesn't want it, that's the only reason I'd be against it at all. I see it. It, it would at this point. Uh, he's just running through the entire heavyweight division, and um, he's he's just getting bigger and bigger of a draw. So uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where he's headed and what they do with him. But he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. And then um, the. Double main event, if you will. Uh, the two main fights, Henry Cejudo and Dominic Cruz for the Bantamweight title. Um, Henry Cejudo beat Dominic Cruz via second-round TKO to retain. And then Justin Gaethje defeated Tony Ferguson, uh, fifth-round TKO. Uh, that was um, – wasn't that stoppage head for the lightweight title? I don't know. I didn't even – this is the, the, the funny thing. Yeah, I think it was because there was like a minute – there was like less than a minute left because Tony Ferguson was pissed. Well – and um, just, you know, so. But the thing is, too, it's really weird that there would be an upset in that fight because, you know, I saw I was really surprised by all this stuff. But apparently the uh, the, the Gaethy dude took uh, he took the fight like on 12 days notice or something like that. And obviously the event got canceled because of coronavirus stuff. So he got an extra basically he ended up getting five weeks total to train for the fight. And I even saw, like, uh, you know, on ESPN, they do something like on Fridays or something, because I see it occasionally, where they'll have Ariel Hawani on, and he'll have a fighter with him, and they do, like, an interview or something, and they had Gaethy on, and he was, like, talking about all this. And he was saying, like, how his training camp ended up being so much better and everything else, and, like, it was just a really good interview, and it was, like, and I know they always do that to, like, hype the dude up, but I'm like, man... Going from 12 days notice to five weeks is a big difference. And he even said that. Huge. And he was like, man, he was like, you know, he's like on 12 days, he's like, yeah, he'd probably beat me. I'm not going to lie. But it's like, but you give me five weeks. He's like, the the advantage is in my court now. He's like, because he's supposed to beat me. So, well, and it's like, and usually there's some credence to stuff like that in the fight world. You know what I mean? Like that's not not in like team sports and shit. That stuff's like whatever, but like when you're talking one on one, it's like anybody could lose any day, and especially when there's like weird shit thrown in. So you know, it's not that big of a surprise, I don't think. But it's like we're gonna see what this dude has. Because in contrast, Tony Ferguson, uh, he even stated he was preparing for uh, the Eagle. Yeah, you know, for Magladay. I can't. I can never pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. So. Sorry, listeners. On that. No, I can't either. <laughs> no, I, I'm the same way. Yeah. I, I do. Trust me. You hear me call somebody all the time by their fucking nickname. Like I could probably say exactly. Giannis's <laughs> last name, but I it's fuck it because I'm like I'll get five yeah. out of ten if I'm lucky. So I, he's Giannis. I don't want to end up on goofs or goofs. Yeah, so exactly. I'm just gonna go with the eagle. We'll just keep it. But that yeah, way. he was preparing for that, and, and Gacy's a puncher. 
and um, you know the Eagles a, a wrestler and grappler, so he was prepared for a completely different opponent. And I don't think he was using that as an excuse either. But he, you know, it's just one of those things. There's a thin line between true reasons and excuses, and he was kind of just bringing that up. But you know, it does make sense. Um, you know, like I mentioned, in contrast to to what you were saying for Gaethje's, um training advantage. So. Uh, but yeah, really good uh, overall UFC 249 uh, card, and it's good to see some semblance of American professional sports back on the airways. For sure. Yeah, and it seems like there's going to be more of that because uh, it's been announced that, and and it's not super official or anything like that. It's just a lot of news getting out that uh, Major League Baseball is looking to restart without fans sometimes around sometime around July 3rd or 4th, uh, but. You know that's kind of cool. I mean, I see that, uh, especially because like I've I've noticed uh, a few times recently uh, they're showing Korean baseball games uh, early in the morning on ESPN, and uh, they're playing with no fans or very limited fans, and it, it's like it could be done. You know what I mean? I I I don't know how they're gonna nail down locations and stuff like that, but I mean. You know, I could see that happening. I, I wouldn't even have a problem with that happening because I think baseball is one of the few sports that you don't really need the crowd. Uh, you don't. You can do it on a very limited basis. Uh, the game's not. It's not a contact sport for the most part. So, um, outside of a few times during a game, like there's ways that they could do it safely. Joe Buck uh, was on a guest on Real Sports with Brian Gumble, the HBO documentary. Um, series that, that I watch all the time and they did a sports during the pandemic kind of episode okay. and he had uh, some of the broadcasters on and this issue came up with you know if if these sports do get approved without crowds because um, obviously they'll be testing anybody involved you know the players the the coaches managers um, you know obviously anybody entering the stadium is going to be tested and things so they'll do it in a precautious manner and uh, I agree with you, Hey Ed. I don't think a crowd's the biggest thing. People are in such high demand for sports and for like that normal stuff right now that I think that's some a small sacrifice that to not have an audience live. And what Joe Buck was saying was maybe even having like a fake kind of crowd noise. Yeah. You know, he's like sitting there listening to the, the broadcasters just in complete silence would be too goofy. But if they can get like in the little ambiance going that you almost like subconsciously even forget about it. You're watching the game. You're hearing the broadcasters. There's this kind of ambiance in the background. He, he in his opinion, he was saying that's uh, what he would suggest. So that was an interesting. Yeah, thing. I wouldn't have a problem with that. But I mean, I, this is just my line of thinking here. There's no way Major League Baseball is going to do that. It's just going to be silence or something like I mean, I could still see them doing it with it's like maybe the, the ballpark sounds like you still get the organ and shit like that. Or, you know, guys still get their walk up music like whenever they come to bat, things like that. Like I could see that still being part of it. But with the announcers and obviously, but I, I just don't see them pumping crowd noise in. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I actually think it'd be kind of cool. I'm with you. Yeah, it's the, they're not the, the creative types. In, in pro I mean, I even they're, thought wrestling could benefit for that. Remember, we were talking about that a couple, you know, like a yeah. couple shows ago. It's like, yeah, the silence is a weird aspect. Yeah, it's very it really weird. Is when working, it it, it so. makes the stuff really awkward at times. And it's kind of the reason why even right now, like I'm fairly out of wrestling. Like, I watched some of the stuff, but it's like, you know, like last week I didn't even care to watch any of it. I just didn't. So it's like I, I watched more this week because I watched Money in the Bank and then I ended up watching Raw uh, the next night. 
but it's just not the same. And it's like sometimes I'll watch it, and then other times I'm like, I, you know, this is all just throwaway bullshit to me for the most part. And I'm with you. I've I've just been watching the pay per views. I've I've only watched WrestleMania and um, like you just mentioned, Money in the Bank. And for some reason, and maybe this this kind of correlates and is parallel with what we were saying with pumping and crowd noise and stuff. AEW, I've been enjoying a lot. You know, I watch that every week, and they actually have guys from the locker room, and it's not a lot of them, and they're socially distanced and stuff around the ring, yep. and it does add some sort of outside stuff that kind of, again, subconsciously when you're watching the match, you know, you don't get bothered by that silence that the WWE product has at this point. So I don't know if there's something to that, well, I, but bringing up professional wrestling, no, go well, ahead, Anthony. Well, I was going to say, too, like with AEW, I think they've like used it a little bit better. Like even Jericho cutting the promos, like I don't let the stupid fans in here until further notice. Like it's a little. And then uh, obviously, and this is crazy to think about this, but I mean, I know they weren't running for like five years before the pandemic hit or anything like that. But I think like AEW got their most viral moment uh, last week whenever they did the whole thing with uh uh, Sammy getting getting yeah, hit by the golf the cart. cart. Like I think that's to yeah, me exactly. like that's the most so far. That's like the most memorable moment of sorts that AEW's had. Like just in a television moment, and it happened during the pandemic. So like that's kind of cool for them. You know they're doing pretty good with it yeah. considering. Yeah, I've enjoyed their show, and um, yeah, I was beginning to say like bringing up wrestling. We talked about Mother's Day. We just found out that one Becky Lynch is pregnant with uh, her fiance Seth Rollins' baby. So she relinquished the title, which was kind of weird. She gave it over to Oscar. That's basically a heel now. But they did that cool. Um, did you hear just, how that happened? Yeah, I did. I, I watched part of it on. Yeah, I thought that was cool how they did that. I just thought it was weird that I. I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a stickler for like I just hate when the belt's handed to somebody. Wait, what? Because yeah, I did. I thought it was like neat how it got brought up and, and happened, but I, I just am a stickler for that. Like when Triple H got well, no, no, no. back in the day. From did you off. see Raw? Did you see what they did on Raw? No. Okay. That, okay. See, no. this is what I was talking about. This is really cool. Okay. So at the beginning of Raw, Becky comes out because, you know, she's supposed to make the announcement, but she comes out with the women's money in the bank thing. And I had read a, a rumor or something online where basically they were going to hand Oscar the belt and give Becky the money in the bank. So it's like whenever she wants to come back, she's going to have it. But that's not what they did. So when she came out with the money in the bank, uh, then she calls out Oscar. So Oscar comes to the ring and Oscar's like, why do you have my briefcase? And she's like, well, let me explain. She's like, I'm not going to be around for a while. But she was like, you thought you won the money in the bank last night, but you actually didn't. And she opened up the briefcase and she's like, you know, because there was a combination on the briefcase. And the thing is, it was like, you don't you didn't know it, but you actually won the women's title last night. Uh, And the belt was in the briefcase. So I was like, that's actually, yeah, that's a cool way of doing that. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so I I was like, yeah, I actually like that. They they fucking did something for once that makes sense and is actually kind of cool the way that they did it is like a surprise. So uh, that's something, too, that I think that they should be thinking about for future Money in the Bank matches. It would make for some good shit, like... You know, you didn't really win the money in the bank. You won this, or you won that, or you know, what, however you want to do it. But it, it's a cool idea. Yeah, and good for Becky Lynch, man. What a 
what a run to be ended by um, a pregnancy, like, you know, to not even officially win, because then they could use that when she eventually comes back and, as well. She never officially lost her belt. In, in and boy, did somebody take advantage of that on Monday, because, so it was like after that segment, they go backstage to Charlie, and she's with Shayna Baszler, and she's like, so what do you think about Becky's announcement? And she ripped Becky to shreds. It was awesome. It was like it like she was literally like, so we're supposed to be sad because you're gonna be home barefoot and pregnant and like you know she's like, what a joke! You just ended the longest run with the belt ever by making a stupid decision. Like it was awesome. Like it was really really good. That's great. So yeah, like and it was a good promo. So uh, nice to see they're giving her a little bit of time too because they're gonna need somebody to basically replace Becky and. You know, they're going to move someone up. And, you know, I think a few people have kind of made strides recently, too, especially as evidence of Money in the Bank, which we'll be talking about later in the show. But, um, yeah, they, I mean, they got as many decent women on the roster as they've had ever. So, you know, they should be able to take care of that no problem. Yeah, take advantage of all that. Absolutely. So, um, but like, like you said, we'll be covering more wrestling in um, our, our main segment coming up. So I wanted to ask you, uh, just to round out uh, all the initial stuff we, we wanted to kind of touch touch on here at the beginning of the show, did you see that it looks like it was a leak? But I don't think it's been officially confirmed, but it's pretty much like 99%. Uh, Sony had a leak online of the release date, which hasn't been officially announced yet. They just have been saying holiday 2020 for the release of the new PlayStation 5 the next generation console, and it looks like it's officially going to be released in October of 2020. Yeah, I've seen about this, but the thing is, though, man, and this is just my first line of thinking, um, do you really think they're going to be able to put this out in October right now with everything that's going on? That's what everybody's been saying. You know, all the speculation has been that they're not on time because, you know, mainly like with, manufactured parts that are getting shipped and the trouble with the pandemic on the shipping of the, the parts is going to kind of put off the launch and everything like that. Um, they, they also have said that there's going to be less supply off the bat anyway. So these next gen systems, it seems are, are going to be pretty tough to get. So, you know, it's going to be the hot Hollywood 2020 thing. Um, I think a, a, a big thing, like we say with everything right now with the pandemic is it's going to depend on where we're at as a country when the end of the summer going into the fall rolls around because everything is just still question marks right now. So I keep saying this about everything. I don't know how anybody is putting dates on things when nobody knows. I mean, I guess I get it in certain ways. I mean, you have to promote your events. I mean, you know, a lot of people, depending on what specific thing you're in, you know, that's, that's dependent income and things like that. So I understand everything, but the, the other side of it is like, like you were saying, Hey, hey Ed, like how do you make this announcement when it's like, who knows if you could really pull this off? Like, do they know? Um, well, you know, I'm not in the, the know enough to answer that. That's for and, sure. and don't doubt the marketing because the thing is too, on this is like maybe October was actually the initial release date, right? And now Sony knows that they can't do October because of everything going on or, you know, for a whole myriad of reasons. But the bottom line is they just can't do October, right? So maybe somebody in the company is like, hey, leak the October date 
So we can come out and say that it's not legitimate at some point. But basically what it does is like just creates a fucking stir that's starting to build the buzz for their new system. So I, one way or another, I don't think it's a bad idea for them. But I could see that being kind of a marketing thing where somebody in the company is like, all right, now that we know the October date's no good, let somebody leak it so that we can deny it. And, you know, it starts the, the whole build for everything. That's it. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the whole specifics behind it are that the release date was listed in this job description for Sony. Okay. And um, like within the job description, it said like, you know, one of the things is quality assurance department to create PlayStation 5 scheduled to be released in October 2020. So that's where this leak uh, specifically occurred. And so I guess Sony put something out saying that um, it was an error by the site where the listing was posted, of course. Okay. So that would correlate with what you're saying, Ed, you know, and, um, you know, the article I was reading goes on to say, like, with all of this going on, there is one puzzle piece that fits this supposed mistake. Last week during Microsoft's next-gen showcase, Codemasters, a game developer, announced their game Dirt 5, and the developer said that Dirt 5 is launching from October 2020 uh, 20 on Xbox Series X, PlayStation 5, and Windows. So that kind of correlates with this, and I guess that's an official release from the game. Okay. So, yeah, very interesting, man, to see where this goes. But, yeah, the bottom line is at the end of the day, this was kind of a link, a lot of – a leak, excuse me, a lot of online speculation. But Sony has never stated that that, that was the, the definitive released uh, month. So, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, as you know, the Jay's still a big-time gamer. I'm, Eyeing up, uh, trying to get my hands on a PlayStation Five, pretty much as soon as it comes out. It might out. be a good idea to get one, even just to flip it. You know what I mean? Because yeah, it is, yeah I mean they're it, they're already telling you that the supply is not going to, you know, meet the demand. So just an idea yeah. there. If anybody out there wants to make a few dollars for the holidays, maybe uh, try and get one if you got the money, uh, because it will sell, and you'll probably make a significant markup on it. So. But uh, also, we got some sad news, too, uh, over the weekend. Uh, the passing of Ben Stiller's father, Jerry Stiller. Everybody might remember him from his role on Seinfeld and also was on King of Queens for years, um, which is very unfortunate. That kind of sucks. He was an old guy, but, you know, uh, people like that kind of stick around in everybody's mind like they're going to live forever. You know what I mean? That's like what I said uh, when Little Richard died, too. It's just like another thing, like just people you just kind of assume are going to be around forever. So rest in peace to Jerry Stiller. It's, it's one of those things where you're just glad they're still out there. Kind yeah. Of, you yeah. know, uh, you don't know them personally in that, but you're, you're a fan, appreciate their work. Because I was never the, the biggest sitcom guy, but I've, I've had my moments. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great, uh, quote unquote, brain candy, if you will, you know, when you just need something that's kind of just – take my mind off things for a while. I'm just going to watch, you know, just a, a comedic sitcom that's with commercials and easy breezy 15 to 20 minutes, basically an episode. And, um, you know, back in the prime of, of Seinfeld in the nineties, you know, that's one thing that always sticks, sticks out in my mind. He was, he was always a show stealer. On Absolutely. Show as uh, George Costanza's dad, you know, he just killed me. And I have such good memories of that because that would have, you know, people listening, of course, and I know, you know, Hey Ed, uh, people listening, Obviously, don't know my dad personally, his quirks, but my dad's a pretty straightforward guy. Um, like when we were kids, we were like scared of him. So that gives you some sort of kind of look on on how my dad can be. But he definitely has this 
humor side to him. And Seinfeld would never be a show that I would pinpoint as being something that cracked my dad up. But he loved that show and he would be howling from that show. So I have great memories of that. And um, yeah, like I said, uh, Jerry Stiller was always a show stealer as uh, Costanza's dad on that. So um, as I say on the show, man, and we've, we've been through just here from starting in January and May, um, you know, a lot of a lot of passings, man, but such is life. But again, as I say, rest in power to Jerry Stiller, man, you'll be missed and definitely full night. Uh, life uh, passing away in his 90s there. So. Absolutely. So we are going to take a quick break. we got a lot of stuff for you this week on the show. We're going to do some Dark Side of the Ring on Herbo Turbo himself, Herb Abrams, the head of the former UWF. We're going to talk a little bit about Money in the Bank, of course, that happened this past weekend. Uh, part 7 and 8 of The Last Dance, which were unbelievable. And obviously Thursday Night Prime, Honor and Glory from 1993. And of course, as always, there's some goofs involved uh, on our final segment of the show. But we'll get into all that in a moment. Uh, Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everyone. This is Jared from the What's Real Podcast, here to talk about ChurchillPictures.com. This newly revamped website is the home of the Pittsburgh-based production company, Churchill Pictures. It contains numerous original videos, including film trailers, documentaries, comedy sketches, and the entire library of the infamous Backyard Wrestling League, UCW. Check it out today. We are Churchill Pictures. Established from the bond of two childhood friends, we envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Churchill Pictures. Picture the possibilities. Hey, it's Jared from the What's Real Podcast. I'm here to talk about the independent feature film Deference by Churchill Pictures. Bruno De Macy works for the most feared crime boss in the city while his best friend Pauly Fusco gets himself in debt with an Irish gangster and needs his help. As Bruno attempts to rise in the ranks while running an underground gambling operation, Pauly continues to work as a card hustler and becomes a marked man. The two find themselves in the middle of a street war between the Italians and the Irish. You can stream Deference today. Go to churchillpictures.com. Click the tab Featured. Go to the Deference page. It is available here to rent or own. Deference. When tradition fades away, order preserves respect. ChurchillPictures.com And we're back here on the podcast. And as I mentioned before we went to break, we're going to talk about some Money in the Bank 2020 and Dark Side of the Ring. What do you say we start out with some Money in the Bank here? Okay. Uh, Obviously, Money in the Bank happened this past Sunday at the Performance Center. And it was basically a one-match show. It was all, well, two-match show, I should say. But they were all rolled into one match. And it was the two Money in the Bank ladder matches, uh, the men's and the women's. And uh, we knew it was going to be weird to begin with because it was going to be held at the Titan Towers in Stamford, Connecticut, uh, starting on the first floor and ending on the roof. Uh, we kind of assumed that it was going to be uh, very similar to what we saw with the uh, the Boneyard match at WrestleMania. But that wasn't really the case, uh, which I was happy about. Um, but let's get started here. We're going to talk about the show, just a quick rundown. Uh, going into this, I wasn't super excited or anything. I know we were both kind of talking about it. Like, it's just, it's hard to get excited for stuff right now with the way everything is and, you know, we're both kind of on the same page with just the way wrestling is now with no fans and stuff. It's, it's weird. Uh, but 
you know, I didn't watch any of the pre-show stuff on this, and my understanding it was Jeff Hardy uh, fought Cesaro and beat him in about 13 minutes. I heard it was a pretty good match. I didn't watch it at all, but um, it seems too that Jeff Hardy is going to be uh, getting a little bit of a push here coming up. I don't know if they're going to wait until crowds are back or not, but he was slated to get a huge push. It seems like it. That's a cool matchup, Hardy and Cesaro, but I didn't catch it either. Um, that's something, you know, just for something to do. I might have to jump back in there and check it out, you know, quick, probably 10 to 15 minute kind of thing. And and also the first match on the pay-per-view was the fatal four-way for the SmackDown tag belts. It was about 12 minutes between the Forgotten Sons, uh, Lucha House Party, and uh, The New Day. And it, it, you know, good match. Oh, I forgot to add Miz and Morrison too, sorry. Uh, good match. Um, nothing crazy. Um, you know, it, it, it started the show off pretty good. I thought the guys were all working pretty hard and, uh, you know, like I said, a 12 minute tag match, but it was, a, it would have been a really good like TV match basically. Yeah. Morrison and Metalik did the, um, Spanish fly onto all the goose. That was a pretty Yeah. That was spot. great. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, I was cracking up. It was an LOL, LOL moment with Corey Graves. He's like, Oh gee. Look at Grand Metalik. For a second there, I thought that Juventud Guerrero was in this match. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. It was funny. Because he yeah. had like the super long hair and had a pretty similar match. So, yeah, I got a kick out of that. Got to love some, some juice references. And uh, I thought this was pretty funny. The match, not so much. But uh, Bobby, Bobby Lashley defeated R-Truth in about a minute and 40 seconds. Uh, I was originally supposed to be R-Truth and MVP. And... Uh, they had Lashley come down and basically say, I'm taking your place. Uh, the the only thing of note in this match, because the match is garbage, uh, R-Truth coming out and acting like there was still a crowd there because he was funny. R-Truth. <laughs> yeah. that, that shit's he hilarious. He still cracks me up. Yeah, he does uh, some funny shit on this. Doing the whole what's up thing and everything. Like, it, it's, yeah. it's great. Like, Truth is basically a 50-year-old man doing the shit that he's doing, and he's still entertaining, even though, like, he's not really doing a whole lot in the ring anymore. But, you know, it is what it is, but I, I enjoyed that. He's funny as shit. Yeah, that's um, funny. Next up was Tamina versus Bailey for the SmackDown Women's Championship in what I call about ten and a half minutes of nonsense because it, seriously, Tamina is the best thing they could come up with at this point. But man, I uh, I don't care about Bailey anymore at all. It's weird what they're doing with her. I just don't. It, it's just one of them things that I just every time this stuff's on TV, I'm like, I don't want to watch this at all. Yeah, this was definitely like the throwaway match where I was like, you know, I didn't even mean to, but ten minutes in, I just realized I was on my phone the whole time. <laughs> so can't, can't yeah. give much of a, a playback on it. Uh, Strowman versus Bray Wyatt. Uh, Strowman kept the uh, Universal Championship because he was not facing the Fiend. Uh, He's just fighting old Bray in his fucking sweater. Uh, 11-minute match, throwaway. I don't like really either one of these guys. Like, the Fiend's kind of cool for a gimmick, but I'm not the biggest Bray Wyatt fan. And I just, I'm done with Strowman. I don't care anymore at all. The the best part about this match to me was just the the comedy and entertainment aspects because they had the uh, the puppets down there. Yep. Like talking yep. shit. <laughs> and then and like... They, <laughs> no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say they did the thing with, you know, Strowman acting like he was going to join back up with Bray. And they, right. it was just like a weird little skit during the match. But other than that, I was just like, whatever. That, that's like the only thing I like about Strowman. Though. 
it's like the unintentional comedy because he's mm-hmm. just such a goof and it's especially without the crowd you can hear everything of course and just with like he's trying to talk shit when he's saying it had me like i was just cracking up like watching my son you know he's like you know you, I'm not the same man I used to be with you, Wyatt. You know, like, I'm like, well, there's one part. Now? There, there's one part where he says, I told you the time for talking is over. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> I feel like, you know, like when he said that, I'm like, did somebody pull the string on his back? Because that's yeah. like, the gen- like you go by the Braun Strowman doll when you're eight. Yeah, it's my son's toy does that. Yeah, and that's what he's, it's it's never anything normal. It's just like, like uh, I'm going to break you in half. Yeah, like, like I'm going to take you out. Yeah, like the most generic, nondescript things somebody could say is what they put in those, and that's how I felt about that. Uh, which was kind of funny as a side note, just watching Raw last night, I was cracking up because like when they'd bring up Becky's pregnancy, it was like WrestleMania. It wasn't like, oh, Becky Lynch is pregnant. We're happy for it. Like, Ladies and gentlemen, we just found out before with the break that Becky Lynch is pregnant. <laughs> like, that's oh weird. What a weird way of announcing that. But okay, I guess. Uh, but yeah. yeah. That's funny. Just, just another throwaway match, even though, you know, I mean, they, they had a little bit of uh, gimmick going with it and everything. But still, it, it's kind of hard when you really don't care about either one. For me, anyway. And, oh, yeah, because uh, then was just, you know, power slam, one, two, three. There, there goes that. And next up was the singles title match for the WWE Championship, which was about a 20-minute match between Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins debuted some new ring uh, ring music, which is way slower and goofier. Uh, it works for the current gimmick that he's doing, but Yeah, whatever. it's on his character. Yeah. And uh, McIntyre beat him after a pretty solid match, uh, but I just didn't care about this feud to begin with. I didn't think McIntyre was going to lose, and he didn't. And, you know, it's kind of underwhelming, too, when you know it's not even the main event. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah. it's, you know, let's get this shit over with so you can see the match that the whole entire show's been built around. I mean, they worked. You know, there was, there was some stuff in there. Uh, definitely kind of a cheap way to say it but it could have been worse but yeah i'm with you it was nothing that, that stood out and i, I kind of judge things with my six-year-old as i talk about as i watch with him and um he was more into the match before because of course with the puppets and, and he loves like why more as the fiend but just just bray being in it and stuff and this this one he was kind of like losing interest you know like playing with his toys more doing it and all that so i kind of judge it with that but yeah it was all right it was what it was and um, you know i i will say this too man like i I hope Drew McIntyre kind of gets a, a shot to be the champ and shit whenever that's stuff's what, yeah, that's back to remotely it, normal. Because I kind of feel bad for the dude because he is really good. Like and yeah. and I think too that he's stepped it up like on the promos and stuff lately. Like he's been a lot more because like prior to this, he was like the most throwaway dude ever. Just like a uh, big dude yeah, who paper, cared. Paper like, uh, although he's good in the ring, you know what I mean. But it's. It's the kind of thing where it's like, I don't know, like, I'd like to see him get a shot with the crowd and see how over he can get and shit like that. And, you know, and and it's also easy to be really good on the mic, too, when there's no one around. So we'll see how that kind of translates. But we'll see uh, again, though, the match, not bad at all, but just something that I'm personally wasn't really caring about in the least going into it. No, it was just pretty mediocre overall. And the main event 
was the Money in the Bank ladder match. And as we mentioned previously, they were going to do them both simultaneously uh, with everybody starting out on the first floor having to get to the roof where both of the Money in the Bank briefcases were held. Uh, The women's match was about 22 minutes and the men's match was about 27 minutes. And uh, in the women's match, as we already mentioned on the show, Asuka defeated everybody. Uh, the women's side of things was pretty cool. Uh, it's kind of hard to talk about a match that happened all at the same time, but I guess we could split it up one way or the other. The The women's match was cool because they basically did it where, like, Asuka was running from the, the start. And yeah, she was like trying to it. Yeah, she was basically trying to get up to the elevator and out of there as fast as humanly possible with everybody else just kind of fighting around her. And they started Which it started by, off with her jumping off the balcony. That yeah, that's what I was gonna say. They did the weird entrance thing where they were all just standing in the lobby next to each other, and then before you know it, it's like she's like they're like like her music plays, and they're like where's she at? And then it's like of course she's like on the balcony and jumps on them, which was a really cool way of starting it. And then she was off to the races, like she was immediately like after she got up, she like you know did her like normal, well I won't say normal her her usual. Uh, just speaking in tongues and babbling, which is great because I love Oscar. I love Oscar. She's awesome, and uh, you know she was often running with everybody chasing her, basically. Yeah, and you know what cracked me up about this? Just before I lose my thought, hey Ed, because I was actually—it's another thing—I was going to like text you during it and got distracted. And just figured I could wait to bring it up to you. But this this kind of match, and, and this is more because this was a bit different than the cinematic aspects behind the boneyard match and it's it's nothing obviously like that's a, a thing itself was the the scene of bray wyatt thing at wrestlemania the cinematic kind of thing they did this is the closest wwe will ever come to quote unquote ucw style oh like Our a backyard, backyard wrestling, wrestling. I got, yeah this is like what we did there's no no broadcasters they're still like doing their gimmicks acting like there's a crowd but nobody's there they're wrestling without a ring. I'm like, dude, this is like the WWE version of UCW. It's cracking me well, up. Remember we did something like that back in the day where it was like we had some sort of a match when we used to do the shit in your house when we were kids. Yeah. Where it was like – but like the one match, it was like – because we used to just wrestle in the one room. And it was like we had a match one time where it was like all through the house. And yeah, like, I do like, remember that. That's what, that's what like reminded me of. You know, this reminded me of that. It's killing me. And it's, it, you know, it's entertaining stuff because, I mean, as long as you throw in some, some good stuff, I mean, you do need good performers. And the uh, the one thing that I will say about this is there there's some cameos made throughout the matches, too. Uh, and I could have totally done without the women's cameo, which was the weirdest thing where we saw earlier in the match, they break into like a, a boardroom. And they're all fighting, and Dana notices the Money in the Bank briefcase hanging above the table, which she grabs, and the match ends until Stephanie McMahon shows up and is like, what are you doing? She's like, that's not the Money in the Bank. And it's like, at the same time, it looked like a briefcase legitimately filled with like a million dollars in cash. So (laughs) I kind of thought it would have been funny if if she was just like, no, I'm just going to keep this one and just leaves. (laughs) But that was a random thing, and again, like I don't need to ever see Stephanie on my TV when it's involved in the actual matches. Yeah, and, and Vince was in there too. Well, during the men's, but 
Yeah. That's what I was going to say. But, you know, we basically saw them fight throughout the building uh, after this, and we saw Asuka uh, win uh, in about 22 minutes, which was cool. That's actually who I wanted to win the match anyways, either her or Shayna. And uh, it, as we said earlier uh, on Raw, they revealed that she didn't win the Money in the Bank briefcase. She actually won the WWE Raw Women's Championship, which was in the briefcase because of Becky Lynch leaving because she is pregnant. So, and then that led us to the men's match, which started in the gym. And this gym is hilarious and it's infamous at the same time because if you guys watched back in the day, whenever you remember them doing like the old Ico Pro commercials in the WWF gym, that's the same gym. It's in Titan Towers. And, it, you know, it was funny to begin with because the dudes were all talking. And it was like, Otis was killing me. AJ was funny as shit. Even Baron Corbin's really good in this type of environment. And they did the yeah. whole thing, which I thought was funny too, where he threw the uh, the plate and missed and it hit the, the yeah, mirror. The, the mirror, yeah. So like, you know, they're, it's ominous. They're leading, something bad's going yeah, to happen. going to have bad luck. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is hilarious. But I thought that was cool. And uh, they were all fighting in the gym, which started out really good. And it started a trend that we would see in the match, too, where Rey Mysterio would consistently get fucking annihilated throughout this match, which was kind of <laughs> funny, too, because yeah. it's like the worst shit happens to Rey throughout this whole thing. Yeah, that was that was one of the better parts. And, and like you said, with the cameos, the cameos would continue in the men's. Um, they end up in the bathroom, and who comes out after using the bathroom with Brother Love? Uh, him and Mysterio, of all people, which is like Yeah, and, and, uh, I, I saw a tweet on, I think it was from Brian Gerwitz, like, put, like, he just put this list of, um, like, all this, like, unrealistic shit that the WWE does, and then he's like, but the most unrealistic thing that I have ever seen happen in Money in the Bank, to, to for you to tell me that Brother Love would be washing his hands after using the bathroom or something like that. One of course, too, and it also, you know, the other cameo that that you already mentioned was uh, Vince, uh, which led to, to uh, uh, it was AJ Styles and and Daniel Bryan end up fighting into the boardroom, and it makes for an awkward moment, and it was, the, the best part to me was, like, the whole thing with, like, there, so it's, like, weird, and he tells them to leave, and they're, like, backing out awkwardly, and then they come back in and fix the chairs, and then they go outside and they're like, man, you were a coward in there. He's like, yeah, but, I mean, you were the one that said about fixing the chairs. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I did kind of, didn't I? Oh, yeah. Like, it's just like this weird moment. But it's like the perfect moment for, like, AJ and Daniel Bryan to have because their yeah. personalities are, like, good as far as that type of stuff goes. Yeah, there's, like, a lot of a lot of entertaining, you know, little stuff like that that, that made it go along. And then that's, you know, when we previewed it, this is what we were kind of looking at, like, you know, how they were going to sprinkle in like the different cinematic stuff with comedy, with the wrestling. And they kind of did all that, you know, I mean, it wasn't the greatest presentation overall, but I was, I was thoroughly entertained by the whole thing. Yeah. So was I, I mean, I, I thought they did a really good job. Uh, the, the, this was the, the difference. Like I thought with WrestleMania, the Boneyard match was really good because of the production that it was, not so much because of the wrestlers. And this one was different. This one was good, but not because of the production, but because the wrestlers were all really good in their roles in the match. Like, I thought Otis was funny as shit. That dude cracks me the fuck up. 
And he's such a goofball. He ends up winning, which was a fucking complete <laughs> surprise. Yeah, and I couldn't I, believe that either. And and I'm happy about it. It's something different. It's and different. it's it's kind of a shame too, because I honestly think he would be mega over right now if there were fans. Yeah. Um, he's definitely one of the the funniest dudes in the company um he's solid he can work he's he's definitely somebody that i think kids would follow and like and he's goofy and has like that funny personality and sometimes that's what guys need to get over huge and and word is that vince mcmahon absolutely loves this dude and clearly with him winning the money in the bank there's probably a lot of truth to that. So, you know, it it makes for some interesting stuff at the very least because it's like, who seriously wants to see, like, the same shit over and over? Like, if there's any time for them to try and really do some different stuff, it's during the pandemic because you don't have to worry about the the crowd shitting all over something. You're kind of left more up to your own devices, and it's nice to actually see the WWE was doing stuff like that. And because of that... It actually made me want to watch Raw a little bit more on Monday, which I did, and I was, of course, a little let down that I even bothered. Of course, but still, yeah, you know. I, I like I like how they they did a cool ending, man, where it was uh, AJ and King Corbin fighting over the briefcase on the top of the ladder. A lot of the other guys were out, and then uh, Elias came from nowhere because he's been on and off again feuding with Corbin. Yep. Breaks uh, the the guitar over Corbin, so AJ was good to win, and that's what I thought. Hey, Adam, like, oh. AJ's getting it, you know, whatever. And he actually fumbles the briefcase because you have to, like, possess it as Michael Cole comes on and says, like, oh, you know, AJ fumbled uh, yeah, it. Otis and, caught it. He's possessed the money in the bank. He's the And winner. they did that that little shtick thing for a second before they fumbled with it because him and Corbin had it. And it was like, I got it. And then Corbin's yeah, like, no, I got it. it and then time. it's like, oh, I guess we both got a part of this handle, huh? And that's when they fumble fuck around and drop it. And Otis would catch it, which is really cool. But it's, dude, it's it's surprising that they would give it to Otis, but it's cool nonetheless. And I thought it was well done. And I also thought it was crazy too because they did this thing where there was like foreshadowing, and it all started with Otis at Mania because they did the whole thing where like you know they made him look like a goof for a month, and then they you know like Mandy was on his side or whatever. And then they've been doing this shit on TV where, like, he's always in the right place at the right time. And even Corbin said to him, like, you're the luckiest guy in the world. And he's like, like yeah. you know. So that's what the gimmick is. They're making it like he's the luckiest dude ever. So it's possible that you see that here where it's like, you know, he just starts winning titles and shit because like everything is on his side. So it's a good gimmick and it's smart and it's, it's a good gimmick for Otis specifically. Yeah. I'm liking a man. Like you said, it's just something different. Uh, us WWE fans just always want that because they just have so much content and they just get in those like cruise control periods of time, you know, like with Roman Reigns, just being in the main event for a year and a half, you know, and before you know it, it's like, dude, we have something else, you know. So, uh, like you said, that was a great point. If if any time to experiment with uh, trying to get certain other guys over, you know, bringing mid carters up to the main event, now's the time. And I definitely like them choosing Otis for now. And you know, it's going to be cool to see what happens. You know, and speaking of all that, hey, Ed, since I didn't watch Raw, uh, which I probably won't, I think I already deleted it. So, like I said, I just am not not with the um, the the silent product right now. Except I'll check out the pay per views. But did uh, what did they do with Otis on Raw? Nothing. 
nothing. No. <laughs> like, He's on SmackDown, <laughs> so I guess they're not. No, that's right. He's on SmackDown, so never mind. But well, but that's weird too because like I haven't even been watching SmackDown like at all. Like other than like maybe like a couple minutes of it because my Fridays now are completely consumed with Joe Bob. Yeah. So, oh well, but that's Money in the Bank. You know, uh, obviously it's on the WWE Network. If you guys want to check it out, if you have yet to check it out, it's worth watching. I, I would definitely say that much at least. So, uh, you know, you could do that right now if you so choose. So let's move right along. As we mentioned, it is time, as we've been doing every week, to talk about the latest dark side of the ring. And last week's episode was on the owner and operator and CEO of the Universal Wrestling Federation, uh, which operated from 1990 until 1996. And that is the UWF and Herb Abrams. Um, Herb Abrams is famous mainly because of his death. Uh, because he is a guy that um, had a less-than-usual passing. Um, Passed away in a story where he was... uh, Well, here, let me just give you the story. Uh, He died on July 23rd, 96, at St. Vincent's Hospital in Manhattan. Uh, He had a heart attack while in police custody. Before his death, the police had found Abrams in his Manhattan office naked and covered in baby oil, destroying furniture with a baseball bat. And his autopsy showed that he had Valium and cocaine in his system. And uh, basically, that legend kind of built from there. And it would be one of the reasons why they would cover him on Dark Side of the Ring. Um, They basically tell you the story of the UWF. And what that was, was... Uh, Herb Abrams was a very successful businessman, and he had some connections to professional wrestling, was a huge professional wrestling fan, and started uh, a company, the UWF. And the story was that he had uh, went to Vince McMahon to try and help promote the West Coast, uh, as that's where he was working out of at the time. Vince McMahon completely ignored him, and thus it gave him the idea to try and take down Vince McMahon and the WWF. Uh, by starting the UWF and really ramping up what they were doing. Um, The weird thing is it got on Sports Channel America, and it also made it to ESPN at one point, and that's where most people recognize the UWF from. That's what I remember it from. But um, a lot of people at the time had no idea that Herb Abrams, who was an on-air talent with them, was also the owner of the company and was kind of a weird guy to begin with. But I do remember a lot of the stuff like they showed on here, like the uh, the cookies that they would be selling and shit like that. Like the UWF was trying to compete with the WWF as far as merchandising and stuff like that, but obviously that didn't work out. And eventually the UWF uh, went completely under. And obviously uh, Herb Abrams' life got pretty dark and spiraled out of control as... Herbo Turbo, as they've called him, uh, liked the uh, cocaine a little bit too much. That's this is another, much it. yeah, it's another one. Hey, Ed, that um, was really appealing to me because I didn't know too much about this story at all, and I avoided any spoilers. Like once they announced it and everything, just so I could just experience the episode. So that was definitely a, you know gave me a cool perspective on this episode. You know, I vaguely remembered flashes of the UWF, uh, like you mentioned, but. Um, you know, as I always go back to, for me, uh, the, the pinpoint of my wrestling fandom specifically began in 92. So, you know, this was from 90 to 96, so it was in there. But 
Um, I think it was just, you know, out of my eyesight at, at the times it was running. So I knew very little about it, but that, that did make this episode so much better to watch for me, you know, cause I was just fascinated the whole time. And, um, you know, if, if there's, if, if you're not fascinated by Mr. Electricity was another nickname <laughs> of him, you know, Herb Abrams, then I don't know what will, I mean, he was like pretty much the wolf of wall street, but surrounded with men in tights, you know, he's like just a super wrestling fan, that had 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 the money and too high of ambitions, let's say. And I know like the whole thing kind of started and kind of snowballed from a, a, a wrestling weekend convention, which, you know, in those days weren't anywhere near as prominent as they are uh, presently. And I guess he went around just introducing himself to anybody that would have him. And he's making all these outlandish claims about the UWF. And then, like, you know, he ends up having a press conference. He declares Blackjack Mulligan as Booker. And meanwhile, I guess at that time, Mulligan was, like, currently serving time in jail. <laughs> so, yeah, for counterfeiting um, money, by the way. Yeah. And, and, and the other aspect of this UWF, hey, Ed, I'm sure you'll agree, is that his roster was unreal. He ended yeah. up putting, I mean, he had Bruiser Brody involved. Well, Brody, no, 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 no. He said. Oh, he was, he was claiming, he was, that's right. He was claiming to have Bruiser Brody. Yeah. But I mean, but nonetheless, they did have a good roster. There's even a really famous picture that Herb Abrams took with Hulk Hogan. And there was a lot of rumors at the time that he was going to bring Hogan in after WWF was done with him in 93, 94. Um, that obviously never happened because Hogan's smarter than that. Um, but it was, the thing that was cool about this one is there wasn't a lot of bullshit. They did leave out, uh, the one thing I was hoping they were going to talk about, which was there was a set of New York tapings that are super famous with the UWF and they happened at, uh, the hotel Pennsylvania, which I actually stayed at one time when I went to New York, which blows my mind. And, I remember those were the most prominent shows that were shown just a few years ago on ESPN Classic when they were showing Universal Wrestling Federation. And I'm talking like like a decade ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. And um, they didn't really touch on those at all. And that was the last tapings yeah. they ever had. So that was weird. But uh, it was cool to see everything. The, the whole story that they, they showed about Herb was legit. Like, there wasn't bullshit. Nobody was lying. It was 100% legitimate, and, and they nailed everything. They even got uh, guys like Steve Dahl, uh, or not Steve Dahl, uh, Steve Ray uh, from the UWF, which was one of the guys. And Sonny Beach was on there, too, another guy that I was hoping they were going to get. So they yeah. got the guys that I wanted to hear from, and I thought it was really cool. It was a really, really good episode about a subject that, again, I didn't know if they were really going to get an hour out of, but they absolutely did. Oh, for sure. It was very well paced. You know, another big part of it was that Herb Abrams basically preempted Bischoff, um, you know, on being the guy to try to take out Vince McMahon. Yep. And it got to a point where he actually had a, a meeting with Vince. Yep. And that just created more, um, you know, veracity of, of Herb towards Vince because Vince kind of shut him down and just kind of shoot him out of his office as not taking him very seriously, that sort of thing. And then it you know starts getting into some of the partying stories of, of Herb, you know, building the story uh, to the crescendo where that dude, the Colonel Marty Yesberg, um, he had a pretty funny account because again, it's like this you know huge redneck dude 
telling the story about being in this sweet Beverly Hills, you know, and which you know, I don't you know, and these beautiful women. I, I don't believe him at all. I'll just be honest with you. You think I he's full of shit? A hundred and ten percent. That whole story is yeah. bullshit. I mean, I'm not saying that something similar didn't happen, but like, do I believe they were in Beverly Hills? No. Uh, it's just, it's an embellished wrestling story. If I've ever, yeah, I was just going to say the embellishment, like, and I love how he called the, uh, the hookers or high end call girls, the Hollywood honeys. That's what I'm saying. That, that part of the story is definitively bullshit. I promise you that maybe in his head, that's the way that it, that it seemed, but it's, that's bullshit. I'll call that a hundred percent. Yeah. And like we, we've been talking as we discussed the dark side of the rings, man, these dudes, you know, especially from that era, once again, they're, they're workers. They'll be working until the day they die. So you got to yep. be careful on what you believe for sure. I mean, um, th- you know, another, I was going to say, yeah, there's a, it, this is off a side topic, but it reminds me of it. There's a whole contingency of guys out there who claim to be pro wrestlers who never were, or were very minimally, and they'll tell you crazy fucking stories. Like there's a dude, like I, I listened to another podcast. It's called the six Oh five super podcast. And they've talked for years about a guy called the hangman. And it's a guy in Florida who he was like an extra in Baywatch, the movie, but tells everybody that he he's friends with the rock and he was in the movie. Like he's a main character. And he said that yeah, he slammed Andre the giant. Like he's a carny goof. And it's clear as shit that when you see him that this dude was never anything of note. There's no proof of it anywhere, no matter what. And it's it's just funny. But there's a lot of them out there like that. And he's not the only one. So there's a lot of bullshit that comes along with wrestling. Aside from people that even work in the business, you have like this whole outlier of people that never did, but tell everybody they did and do shit like autograph signings in the South because people <laughs> yeah. don't know any better. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but that, especially but, like little kids and shit. Yeah. It, the so the, people. this is what we're dealing with is kind of my point here. You know what I mean? When it comes yeah. to the type of people that you're going to see along the way, not everybody, but there are some. No, that's a great point, man. Um, some of the some of the additional bullet points as we move along here with the episode, um, I thought was funny that he had the the UWF television title and to like what I guess this is stemming off not too long from that pre mentioned meeting he had with Vince and he's all pissed off and the UWF logo side plates when you folded the belt it would say F U shows you how petty he is but still funny and then uh, you know that brings us to the quote unquote Spartanburg incident where he started to bounce checks and he was keeping the party going though you know he wasn't fucking not doing coke and hookers but he was starting to bounce checks and of course the, the TV crew started to demand payment and he showed he was good for it by phoning his bank account, showed he had millions of dollars. But nobody knew he had a second account that he wrote his checks from. <laughs> so once those end up bouncing, the crew did like a, a Suge Knight impression and nearly threw him off of, out of a fifth-story window. Yep. Uh, so that was a good one. And that's exactly the type of guy that Herb Abrams was. He was kind of a, a con man at points. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. it's it's pretty much one of those. This is the vibe that I always got. Like Herb Abrams was probably just like a a dorky kid or just like a normal kid or whatever who did pretty well for himself and had a lot of opportunities and made some money and 
got into wrestling with the best of intentions and just watch it all completely go off the rails. And it's like, I like I think he meant to start a wrestling promotion because he loved wrestling and he thought it was cool and he wanted to do it and he found a way to get into it. And and it was just like, you know, like they, they even said on there, like there's this mark with money in L.A. And that's what happens in wrestling. We've seen it many a times yeah. afterwards, not with such tragic results, but you've seen it time and time again where somebody gets into the business because they have money and then the business just runs them dry because it's not yeah, easy it's to make money story. from it. But there's it's very easy to spend a lot of money trying to do it. Yeah. And that's, you know, a big, big underlying point of the whole thing, obviously, is that Herb's addiction keeps getting worse and worse and he's running out of money. And then that gets to the point where they start telling the stories and show how his paranoia grew. Yep. And he's like super paranoid. Like they're telling stories like he's always ripping apart pillows and tearing hotel room furniture apart to try to find cameras. And he's always saying they're watching me. And like, you know, his friends and the people with him are like, who Herb, who's watching you? Who's coming for you? <laughs> and, um, you know, so all this crazy shit's going on. And then, then there's the story that he dove out of a hotel window naked running, running away from thugs that he owed money to or whatever. So, I mean, we're, you know, we'll, we'll be wrapping it up soon, but I, I got to say here at this point, man, like as a, as a filmmaker, uh, it'd probably be too big for my budget, but how is this not a movie yet? The, the Herb Abrams story. Yeah. And, I mean, this is just, you can't write it type shit, you know? Um, you know but yeah, it, that ultimately goes into the, the finale. It kind of sucks in a way because there's definitely a documentary out there on the UWF. Like, yeah, you know, somebody could make Brian a really uh, retrospective. Yeah, that's no. I'm talking about like there, there's somebody missed an opportunity to make a full length feature documentary on this thing because that you know like there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of footage. There's a lot of people still alive that work there and everything. So I was glad that they covered it. It was just wasn't enough for me. Like, I understand they were only covering Herb and the story there, but there's still another story out there. Like, the Brian Zane video that you brought up is really good, but I think somebody could really make a good documentary about the UWF in general. Yeah, I I agree, man. I mean, <laughs> that's my point. Absolutely. The there, for sure. I, I love the Dark Side of the Ring title, too, Cokie, Cocaine and Cowboy Boots. I, I just stick with that. But, um, but, yeah, like, this goes into the... The kind of climax, if you will, the crescendo of it all, where uh, it leads to his death. And, you know, he's being all paranoid, you know, just continuously doing the cocaine and hookers. But then he, it looked like he took a turn for the better, uh, you know, going into 96. And um, as, as some of us unfortunately know, with addicts, um, they can hide things on, on the surface. But, you know, we don't know what's going on. Behind the scenes, um, you know, depending on how good you are, and like you mentioned, hey Ed, I mean, this is a con man type person, so he's obviously good at kind of giving you the swerve and stuff. So nobody knew um, that he might be relapsing or things like that. And they actually had the footage of the last time he yep. was ever seen and heard. So that was a co- cool aspect yep. too in his office there, and he looked yeah. pretty healthy and normal. From that, so yeah, that's kind of my it's point, uh, you know? it was a bummer, you know that that part was to me was probably the best part of this whole thing because it was something that I had never seen before, um, or even knew that 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 existed. Right. So um, hearing that part, and then obviously they showed you the part at the end too with his dog, uh, Koki the dog, which is kind of funny. Yeah. But, uh, 
But, you know, the, it shows you the yeah. human side of the guy, too. And, I mean, there, there's always two sides to a story. So I thought that was an interesting part to put in there, too. Like, kind of reminding you, like, you know, this guy that has become, like, a running joke forever was also a person, you know, that people knew and, and cared about. And, you know, all jokes aside, it's still a, a sad fucking story, man. Yeah, a lot of the guys in this truly cared about him, man. They were tearing up tearing up and things and... Yeah, the whole the whole thing leads to his death. Like we said, they, they showed out that scene of like the last footage of him, and you know, of course, he wouldn't be seen alive after that. And there's multiple differing stories, and everyone is just insane as the last. But each one has the same components of hookers, mounds of cocaine, baseball bats, and baby oil. And he was like supposedly all coked up, covered in in oil. So like the cocaine got on his body from the oil. So he's like covered in, in oil and coke and uh, the two that or the three i heard was the the one said that there's there was the rumor that he died running into a door like all paranoid and just ran himself into a door realistically uh probably most likely through heart failure and then one of the guys i believe mentioned that he died in the back of the police car or under police custody or something like that um but b brian blair was pretty funny in this because like i always tell you ed it's that unintentional humor he's like being serious but he's talking about such outlandish situations just his delivery had me cracking up but he pretty much hit the nail on the head when he was like i mean hey man and he's like tear, tearing up during this he's like herb died doing what he loved yeah. <laughs> and you know and, and i <laughs> just like tearing not to up. change the subject either but it reminded me of this too because i ended up watching it and i don't know if you even noticed this or not but did you see they changed the dark side of the ring after dark like it's obviously not on anymore after the new one they play like the one from last week will be on this week before the new one. Oh, okay, I didn't notice that because I, I didn't. Yeah, because when I watched I it last week, I watched it when I was live, and I was like, "Oh shit!" So they put this on before the new one now. So, uh, just as a note for anybody that listens that actually like that, uh, it's on before the new episode. So, the, you know, which I don't know how that's going to work because it's like, what are you going to do? Air the Road Warriors one the week after? There's no show anymore. Yeah, uh, and obviously, maybe maybe just yeah, it's possible. But and obviously, you know, if you guys missed that, you know, the last one, uh, the season finale is going to be on the Road Warriors, and we will of course be covering that one next week on the show. Well, no, you know what? There's um, oh no, it's I, I yeah, it is, you're Warriors right. So there's heart. two more. Yeah, so it's yeah, but the Road more. Warriors is the next one. So which I thought was that that that's going to be cool. amazing. It, but just to just to wrap up my summation of this episode, just the last thing, like the very closing moments of it was, um, and, and you know, I'm just going off of, to help me through this, give shout outs to, to where I get my shit, TWM.news. Um, they, they were saying this, this was fascinating insight into a man who loved wrestling, a fan with a lot of money who dared to dream, but felt a typical late earlies, late eighties, early nineties excess. And another quote sums up this movie like story perfectly from, man himself Mick Foley he may have gotten in death what he didn't in life he became Absolutely. a legend rest in peace to Herb Abrams yeah. cuz it is a hell of a story but yeah another and i thought that was cool too cuz i thought Mick Mick added some really good stuff in there cuz he really seemed to enjoy the company and everything so oh, he's always nice great to, yeah super and, and positive 
usually. Yeah, he, so I, I, and sometimes stuff like yep. this needs that. But uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. I was really looking forward to it, and it uh, it definitely lived up to everything that I wanted to see in it. I'll say that much for sure. So uh, that's pretty much it for us on the wrestling portion of the show. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, it's time to talk about parts seven and eight of the last dance so stay tuned we'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast this is ed from the what's real podcast what would dad do suppose dad was going to create the greatest hangout spot in the world would he have more than a hundred craft beers check hard to find sweet seasonal brews on tap check juicy burgers seasoned with goodness and grilled to perfection check signature dogs and beloved favorites on the menu check comfortable for friends and family even your little brother check Welcome to Dad's. Well, that's what Dan, Steve, and Eric set out to do. Of course, the trio had spent some quality years working together at a certain hot dog and beer joint in Monroeville. That's when they came to the conclusion that they could shape a bar and restaurant with the beer they love, the food they love, and the people love they hang out with. So, Dad's was born. In its first year, Dad's has become a favorite hangout for many who stumbled in for the very first time. We hope to be your favorite spot, too. Check us out on the web at dadspub.com. Give us a call at area code 412-856-5666, located at 4320 Northern Pike, Monroeville, and 1050 Brayton Avenue, Pittsburgh, PA. That's Dad's. And we're back here on the show, and uh, it is time once again to get into it. Episodes 7 and 8 of The Last Dance all about the, the uh, final run of the Chicago Bulls, as well as plenty of other stuff. And these, again, I feel like I say this every week, but like these were two of the best episodes so far. Um, the first episode um, was something that I've kind of been waiting for here, and it's where they explore Michael Jordan's relationship with his father and, of course, his tragic murder. And... They didn't even get into everything here yet, but um, it started all about that and then Jordan's first retirement and into playing baseball. Um, And this stuff was really cool. Um, This is a time period I remember vividly. Um, It's also a time period I wanted to see how they handled on here. And it it was about as sad as I thought it would be. I was really looking forward to it too, looking forward to it too, because the... Uh, one of the creators was saying that he couldn't believe that Michael Jordan signed off on it. He was like literally uh, yep. shocked because it makes him look bad. And we'll, we'll explore that. But that had me like, you know, really wanting to see this one, uh, you know, for promotional purposes as well, I'm sure. But he really built it up well to say like, you know, I, I can't believe Michael Jordan let himself be seen like this, all, all the warts and all, you know, one of those sort of things. Yep. And that was... You know, it, it was one of the time periods where you could tell he was burning out. Like, they even said about how tired that he was and everything. And, I mean, that's the that's even the impression that I got at the time. It was kind of like, you know, like they, they say in the documentary, like how bummed out everybody was that he retired and everything. And it's like, I remember when that happened. It was like the f- first thing on my mind is I'm like, yeah, I could see that. Like, dude, you, you've done everything. You're the dude. You're the, like, at that point, people were referring to him as the best basketball player of all time. Um, he was a legend as, as far as like everything else goes, the shoes and he had already won gold medal and the dream team and all that stuff. And then his dad got murdered. 
And it's like, you know, I could totally understand, and even though he did leave it open, he even said that in his press conference, like, you know, I'm leaving, but he's like, maybe I'll come back. I'm not closing the door. I'm leaving that open. Yeah, he's not closing the door on it, and I think it was pretty evident at that point, and it's what he said, too. It's like he just needed a break from basketball and the same stuff and, you know, kind of wanted to, which was a thing, too, because there was a lot of, you know, attention on him when he played baseball. But there was still a lot less attention on him when he played baseball than there was when he played basketball, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because it's like you're just not there, – there's not going to be the uh, amount of coverage for a major or a minor league baseball team than there's going to be for the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan, no matter how you cut it. Exactly. And, and they said you know, it's one of those things he couldn't travel with his family – he was just with the team, and the team seemed to treat him as he wanted to be treated, just as another one of the guys, and that really helped him get his mind off things, which was, like, like you were alluding to, uh, the whole point. And two, another thing that I've always said about this is he always got a ton of shit from people for playing baseball and how he wasn't good and you know stuff like that, but it's like I don't think people realize what he was actually able to accomplish at his age, it's not like he was 24 when he decided to do that. Um, he had a lot of mileage on him from basketball at that point. He wasn't playing baseball. You know what I mean? It's not like he consistently played baseball throughout his basketball career. He's just worried about basketball. So it's like I think that that time period, you know, at the time people looked at it as like kind of goofy. But now it's like I kind of hope people look back and realize that he was able, even though it was minor league, he was able to just leave base or basketball and go play professional baseball. They like, covered that with uh, you know, his manager from the time, who, who was like he he even ends up saying. He thinks in under different circumstances that he could have went to the majors. You know, you you covered the circumstances where I think, you know, those things stopped him from not playing for years, coming from his age, coming from from being beaten up. Uh, But the guy says, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he broke down his stats. And he's like, I don't I didn't have top prospects, you know, 27 year old top baseball prospects do what Michael Jordan did. And, Mm -hmm. And I like how they emphasize that. And they, I, I think this is an interesting point that they brought up that I've really never seen anybody kind of analyze. And that's the fact that if it wasn't for the baseball strike in 94, this might have ended up being a lot differently. Because what that caused was, there, you know, they did the replacement players. And of course, Jordan being a member of the players union in the NBA for years, there's no way he was going to cross the picket lines. And he didn't. And then he had nothing to do but sit at home. And that's kind of what got the itch back for him. And I thought that was really cool to kind of show that because, you know, that's not something that we knew. You know what I mean? You can maybe guess that and say that. But if there was no baseball strike that year, there's a possibility that Michael Jordan just went and played more baseball. with it, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was a really cool aspect too. And I the one thing that I really enjoyed in this one was the stuff with B.J. Armstrong, because they? I remember that. I remember that game where B.J. beat their ass, like, yep. bad. And it was like, oh, shit. Like, okay, maybe, you know, B.J. wasn't being featured as much as he should have been, because that's a time period I think a lot of people forget about, because I think everybody remembers him pretty well from the Bulls, but, like, 
B.J. Armstrong went and played for the the Hornets for a few years and and was really good. Like all, made the All Star team, was scoring a lot more points. Like he was coming into his own, not having to be on the same team with with Pippen and Jordan. As with the themes of the Last Dance, though, you have that one game against Jordan. Forget Look about out. it. Then he <laughs> he turns his attention on you, and then he yep. just owned them from there on in the series. Yep, and he even told that other story that was kind of funny where he's like, so Michael's retired, and he calls me up one day, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, nothing, man, i got to go to practice. And he's like, oh, let's go to lunch. And he's like, all right, I mean, i got to go to practice, but like, yeah, we can go to lunch. So he goes to lunch with him, and it's cool. And then I convince him to come with me to the practice facility, which then he does. And then it ends up just him watching practice to him playing around in practice to me and him playing one-on-one to me (laughs) losing to him in street clothes. He's like, I lost to a retired dude in street clothes and I'm the starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets at this (laughs) point. So, which I love stuff that, that to me is the gold of the whole series is like the inside stories. Yeah. The inside like like, untold things. Yeah, because there's no way we would know that stuff. Even like how I said a few episodes ago when they show that clip of Jordan and Rodman sitting on the bench like talking about what they're doing in the game. and That's the insight to me that this this brings that makes this legitimately one of the best things I've ever watched on sports ever. Yeah. And there's, so, you know, we continuously say another aspect and theme of this is just how many layers these episodes have, you know, because they, they get into – the, the Space Jam stuff, and yep. you know, you're going from his father being murdered to him playing minor league baseball to him starring in Space Jam to, like, of course, the the inside basketball stories from BJ Armstrong. I mean, it's it's just so damn interesting, and it's really cool too because again, they're showing two different time periods, and I like how they do that in content. Like, it, I, at this point, I'm more than used to it. I think that I it's told really you, neat the way that they do that. I, I wasn't big on that at first, and I'm, I'm used to it now, and I like that that aspect. You know, as long as you pay attention and you see what's going on, I, it's kind of a, a good storytelling mechanic to the whole doc series. And, you know, I watch uh, a guy on YouTube uh, called Wear Testers. It's like a shoe YouTube channel. And this dude's amazing. Like he's super in depth with how he reviews shoes and it's and it's all about like performance and stuff like that for everything, which I think's really neat. And he's been doing these things where he goes back and he watches these episodes and he, he you know gives his thoughts on the channel. And he brought up something really cool that I didn't think about until he brought it up, and it's exactly what I was kind of doing watching the show. You lived through this stuff, right? So you also remember, like, when they bring this stuff up, like, you watch something now, like, because put it, put it this way, they're showing stuff, for example, like, something that happened when I was 14 that I witnessed when I was 14, but now I'm re-watching it and reliving it as somebody that's almost 40, okay? It's kind of shows you, like, man, there's so much of that stuff that happened that, like, back then, I didn't give a fuck about any of it. I didn't, like, when they were talking about all the gambling shit, I couldn't have cared less. I thought that was the dumbest shit ever. I didn't even think it was a big deal. And now looking at it, and I still don't think it's a big deal, but I see how much of it was made to be a big deal by who was covering him. And and to the point where they, like, were talking about in this one that, like, 
uh, he may have somehow been responsible for his father's death because of gambling, or how he didn't leave to play baseball. It was a shadow suspension, and how all that was because that was always been rumors since yeah. even when I was young. I and remember every, that everybody stuff. on this thing debunked that, you know, from former. And I always thought that was bullshit. Oh yeah, you know, and they, and they all say they they say it's complete bullshit. And then you'll still get conspiracy theorist minded people. You know how that goes. Like they see all this, and it's like, oh, they're they're all full of shit in the last dance. That happened. Yeah, w- which is and and I think that the his father's death was kind of the first time that like I mean like any athlete I'm sure Jordan was annoyed by media and stuff just from a time perspective, but like after that I think that really is where he be he started to become more guarded and oh, it, it, you know yeah, it was it was changing who he was as a person and it even changed the way he was perceived too in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, for, for those listening that might just, like, listen to us and haven't seen The Last Dance and, and aren't familiar, uh, Michael Jordan's dad went missing, and it was very unusual for him, and the family started thinking that definitely something was wrong, and eventually his car, uh, Red Lex- Lexus, was found in South Carolina, like, near the swamp with a smashed window. Um, his body was discovered in the swamp, a uh, bullet to the chest, and they linked the murder to 18-year-olds that had robbed him and, and shot him and killed him. And, and I thought it was kind of a good thing here, too, that they did it, it with this. Is um, I remember at the time these two guys and how much, like, I their mug shots were always on TV. Yeah. And I thought they did a really good job with this because they don't mention them at all. They just mention them as two young people. Yeah, like, like you know, publicity. They, Exactly. So I thought that was done very well. And, uh, you know, uh, kudos to Jordan for doing this episode, because as a fan, this is a perspective that I was looking to see, because we still didn't know, other than like press conferences and stuff, you really didn't know yeah, he didn't talk about what it. this was. Yeah, he re- and I don't blame him. And for once, it was nice to see that. And like, I don't need to see it again. It's just like, okay. I'm glad I got that perspective as somebody that lived through that time period. I always wanted to hear what was going on with him. So like, that was really cool for me at least to be able to right. see that. No, I agree. It's it, great to get his perspective on it. And moving along in the series too, episode eight was more about the 98 stuff. It to me, I mean, there's more older stuff, but the, the reason why this was interesting is because if you followed the Bulls and you've you know lived through this time period and stuff, you remember hearing a lot about Scott Burrell. Scott Burrell was a solid player for the Bulls, but there were always rumors about him and Jordan didn't get along or whatever. And, and he's always maintained that that's not the case. But in this one, they showed Jordan being a total asshole. I mean, I think that that uh, Will Purdue gave like the best perspective on it he was like was he an asshole and when he was a jerk he was like absolutely he was both yeah he's like don't he's I'm like not gonna sugarcoat this but he's like but he's like you realize after the fact why he did those things and he said being a jerk and an asshole is what also makes him one of the best teammates you'll ever have so there and that's 
I think that that's kind of like we've seen that for years with like coaches and sports. Like some dudes thrive with like the player the player friendly guy. Other guys excel with like the Bill Parcells. Like Belichick like the, too. The, yes, the same type of. Th- it depends on the personality of the player, yep. and it's just like whenever the right personality gets with that right coach, that's when both of them kind of go through the stratosphere. Um, and we've seen that, like players that didn't mean shit at other places will go to New England and now all of a sudden they're great and vice versa. You know what I mean? Guys leave that system and become great. That's how so, they closed it, out episode seven with Jordan saying, he was like even tearing up about it, but he's like, you know, if you're expecting to come here and not get pushed, then, then don't, you're, you're not going to play for the Chicago Bulls, you know? And that to me was the best moment of this entire series. Dude, the way they book it was, the shit with the music, it's like, it like just, I keep saying, it's a pump-up series, man. It pumps you up. It's amazing. Well, it's, to me, to just seeing how, like, dude, this is Jordan now, at, you know, whatever age he is, like, giving an interview talking about how competitive he was and how much he wanted to win, and the dude is tearing up. Like, that, to me, personifies Michael Jordan to a yep. T. That's exactly what that like that dude like competitions above all else. That's part of the reason I think too that people don't understand like, and I'm not saying that LeBron's not competitive because I mean to be on that level you have to be, but Jordan is special because he's overboard with that. That's what made him. the The older guys were kind of like that. Like I feel like Isaiah Thomas was so good because he was so competitive, and Magic Johnson was so good because he was so competitive. And a hundred and ten percent, Larry Bird was his greatness is straight from his competitive nature. That's how that era was made up. And Jordan is just the the best of the best anyway. But he's also like. That just shines. So, like, dude, that's part of the reason I think why he's more than just a player. That's why people want his shoes. And that's why, because pe- that's like the, uh, like, a sign of, like, ultimate competition to people. Yeah. He's just on that other level with everything because of that. And, and there's so and many th- reasons for it. And they explore all of that since the first episode of this. And it's just so fun being on the ride and just fully understanding Michael Jordan, you know? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's it makes for great TV. I've enjoyed every episode. It, it just continually gets more and more enjoyable to me every week, and it's a bummer because next week and we'll cover <laughs> them on the show. Say, of I'm course, sad, hey, yeah, it's the it's the last two. The last it's, two. I wish it would go forever. Uh, just watch it every. See, I watch them Sunday yeah. mornings. Yeah, I, I watch Monday them. Mornings. I watch them live because this is one, like, I can't wait to watch this. This is, right now for me, there's two things on TV that I look forward to every week. And it's Fridays on Shudder with Joe Bob. And I look forward to The Last Dance on Sunday nights. It's been fantastic. It's been so cool to relive all this stuff. Um, Like I said, it's one of the best things I've ever seen on sports. And I don't see my opinion changing on that just from two more coming next week. It's, It's been consistently enjoyable. And I really look forward to it every week. I agree, man. It's one of the best sports docuseries shows ever. You know, it will always be up there, in, in my opinion. It's going to be one of those things where I'm going to try to put off watching it as much as I can. Even, you know, I'm sure it won't be available. Although nowadays it might be available pretty soon because I know they did this uh, with Netflix. So uh, eventually it's home's going to be on Netflix. But I'm going to do what I can to, you know, how I do that. Hey, Ed, personally, like I'll put things off until I can't take it anymore to, to rewatch because I want that feeling Same. of. 
the first time I watched it to be, you know, redone the best that I can. So, um, yeah, I'm going to try to hold off on watching this until something like irks me in the future to rewatch it. But I, yep. you know, this is one of my favorite docuseries, uh, sports docuseries, but docuseries period. Cause like you said, it's, we, we talked about it thoroughly with the personal nostalgia factors of it adding in, you know, on top of how intriguing it is and how well done it is. It's just like the perfect storm of entertainment for me. Yeah. Same here. I mean, I, there's literally no complaints at all. Um, I can watch this forever and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, this is something I definitely want to add to the collection at some point because it's just, you know, just there's going to be times. And especially, too, man, imagine if they put out, like, a Blu-ray or something in this and it has a bunch of extra shit on it. So it's like, wait a minute, there's more? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm in for that, like, 100%. So, uh, but, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the last two next week. And as I mentioned, we'll have uh, reviews of those for you guys right here on the podcast. And real quick, hey, Ed, I wanted to mention this to you right here on the show. Um, did you happen to see, because that's, it's the first time I, I, I saw the teaser uh, for it, um, but it's for the, the upcoming uh, 30 for 30s? It's Yeah, I don't know if they're 30 for 30s, but it's like they might have been, but it's clear that ESPN is picking up on the fact that a lot of people are watching The Last Dance, so now they're doing like these Sunday night documentary series now. And I'll tell you which one, like I, they, they all look good. But um, yeah, the 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 Maguire Sosa one is the one that I was like, "Yo, that's the one I want to watch." Yeah, Bruce Lee, Maguire Sosa, that too. Lance Armstrong. Yeah, so. the Bruce Lee one's going to be amazing, just because I don't know what they're going to cover in it. So, and that one's called Like Water, which I like yeah. too. So. Yeah, but that that's going to be amazing. I'm sure we'll probably be talking about those here on the show too. Yeah, I just wanted to bring um, them up because of the commercial on here. I had that bullet point. Well, speaking of that, let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, it's time for Thursday Night Prime from 1993, Honor and Glory. Stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Bayview Entertainment, LLC, is a full-service media company committed to acquire, develop, produce, market, and distribute audiovisual content. For over 15 years, Bayview made its name by being dedicated to releasing only the best programs in each category from some of the most trusted names in the field. Bayview's disc programming can be found throughout the country at all online suppliers plus fine brick-and-mortar retailers, as well as streaming video on demand at all major digital retailers and platforms. Bayview is honored to partner with Churchill Pictures LLC for the worldwide release of The Unsung the newest feature film from Churchill Pictures. Follow details about The Unsung's upcoming release at churchillpictures.com and bayviewentertainment.com. And we're back here on the show, and it is time once again for our favorite segment here every week, and that is none other than Thursday Night Prime. This week on the show, we're going to take a look at a action flick from 1993 by director Godfrey Ho titled Honor and Glory. The reason why we picked this one is because it stars uh, Cynthia Rothrock as Tracy Pride uh, in a role that is fucking weird, and we're going to tell you why. <laughs> So here's the synopsis of this one. FBI agent Tracy Pride's on a mission to capture businessman Jason Slade, who is involved in extortion and murder. Teaming up with her is her sister Joyce, a news reporter. Dragon, Tracy's partner in Hong Kong, and Jake, a bodyguard who worked for Slade. Can they stop Slade before it's too late? Well, here's the funny thing. 
we talk about like all these, uh, you know, the Thursday night prime icons, you know, like people like Cynthia Rothrock and Don the Dragon Wilson. But you know who's becoming one that I didn't realize until right now? Who's that? Chuck Jeffries. He plays Jake Armstrong in this movie. You may remember him from such films and podcasts as the one we did a few weeks ago with Blood Moon because he's the Eddie Murphy impersonator cop that was in that. That was one of my points was like, what's up with the Eddie Murphy thing? So that's Chuck Jeffries gimmick. That is awesome. And I don't know about you, but I'm quickly becoming a fucking fan of Chuck Jeffries because this dude cracks me the fuck up. So that's one of the first points I have for this. It's another <laughs> mystery science theater-esque unintentional comedy. It should be considered as comedy. And to go with that, the man who steals the show for me, of course, I know you knew this probably watching it. Hey, like this yep. is all Jared, but Mr. Jason Slade himself portrayed by John Miller, who I now love. Dude. But, okay, man, him posing and like he what the fuck? The chain. Okay, so off I don't know. Chain. So I don't know how you got this or felt about this, but I'm watching this movie right, and they're showing this Jason Slade dude, and he's like a slime ball. I swear to God, in a way, they kind of uh, uh, wrote his character as like Donald Trump from the '90s. Okay, <laughs> like that's the vibe you get from him, like the slick back hair and the trench coat and the whole deal. And he's walking around with these bodyguards, okay? So, that tells me, oh, this dude's like a rich pussy and just has all these dudes protecting him, okay? Which is the vibe they give you for a little bit (laughs) until the scene pops up with a shirtless dude doing poses with these metal rings on his fucking arm. (laughs) I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm watching. Dude, it was comparable to the classic Lost Boys saxophone. Oh, like yeah. Like that. Like, yeah. He's all oiled up just for no reason. <laughs> like doing the poses with these rings on. Making uh, noises. I was, I was it. <laughs> yeah, like, nah. Uh, okay, nah. and then... Now, th- this is the thing that got me here, okay? I was literally in tears. So I start watching the movie. And they... <laughs> And they introduce you to the main character, who is Joyce Pride, okay? And she's a news reporter. So she's doing a news report at the beginning of the movie about, you know, whatever. And immediately there's a black woman in the background, like, looking into the camera and shit. And she starts yelling at her. And you just think this is like a random crazy person on the street. But she starts bitching at her about her father, and how she his her dad fucked over her senator father, and how she made a story about him, and it ruined his career. Okay, so it's weird enough at this point. Then she throws a pop can at her, or a soda can, which then gets met with a flying kick back at the woman, and then out of nowhere, a fucking fight scene breaks out on the sidewalk between these two, which is... Fucking hilarious. Like, it makes no sense. It's amazing. And it's the weirdest thing ever all in one scene. And I was like, okay, I'm on board with whatever the fuck this is about to be. Because this thing is fucking insane. Since she's uh, Cynthia Rothrock's character sister, she instantly knows martial arts. Well, and it's like, she's, what did she's they... She's fi- this normal TV reporter and she's fighting the entire movie. And I also figured at this point, I'm like, okay, this is weird. And, and, and I got to a point of watching the movie where I'm like, where the fuck is Cynthia Rothrock at? 
(laughs) And then they introduce her. It's her character, is her sister. And then the movie goes on, and I say to myself again, where the fuck is Cynthia Rothrock at? She's the star of the movie, and she's not in the first 40 minutes of it other than like a scene or two, including where she tries to have a dinner with the her sister and their estranged father, which is among one of the worst scenes I've ever seen in anything. <laughs> the acting is putrid. I mean, we're used to bad acting in these, but it's on another level in this one. I mean, it's, it's putrid. What's like, did anybody even write them dialogue? Because they're all just like looking confused and just standing yeah. around. It's the weirdest scene to convey anything of a story. Like, and trust me, I'm not expecting fucking The Godfather here. I know what I'm watching. And even with that being said, I'm like, it's like they don't give, like, can we just That's put some I more know. fights in here? I don't know. Why do we have to write all this talking? And it's like, because yeah. otherwise it's like a fucking fight video, you idiot. I mean, this but, is one too where forget about the plot, you know. Oh yeah, it's whatever on that. yeah. There's like so. What this is the gist of it. So you have this woman who's a news reporter, and her sister who was on a case in Hong Kong, who's now coming back to America for this vague ass assignment. Her dad is somehow embroiled with fucking the main villain in the movie, who yeah, is trying to get a trigger for a nuclear weapon. For no reason. And (laughs) and his main bodyguard, the Chuck Jeffries character, well, the actor's Chuck Jeffries, the Jake Armstrong character, who works for him, quickly realizes he's a dick, and is... They make it seem like he's trying to bang the news reporter, but he's not. He just is impressed with her fighting. Yeah. And then it's like what happens then is all these like the you know this this guy is trying to get this fucking thing and it basically leads to like the goof troop of fighting crews coming together as the news reporter her sister uh Dragon Lee from Hong Kong comes back to join them and Jake go to fucking fight shit at the end and now I know this sounds terrible to this point but between the scene where they show uh, the main villain working out with this staff, and I don't mean a group of people, I mean like an actual st- like staff, like a long staff with a blade on it, is the goofiest, funniest shit ever. But then, and it reminded me of the movie we did last week, where I'm like, man, this movie is a piece of fucking shit, man. This sucks. There's barely anything going on, except for Chuck Jeffries, who has me laughing, so I'm cool with that. And, and Jason Slade. It, it, yes, yeah. exactly. But then, again, the final like, 10, 15-minute crescendo is fucking awesome. Which starts off with the highlight of the film. When, he works, when Jason Slade works over that goof. Yep. That like owes them. It's the best yep. thing ever. They, it's they do hilarious. Slow motion kicks, and yep. then like they, they flash back to it in slow the, motion. The flashback had me dying. I was literally dying. crying watching the and flashback. His finish, Slade's finisher is like uh, the Ultimate Warrior. It's the Gorilla Press. Which a hey, did that shit for real. So I give him credit. The <laughs> yeah. dude's apparently no strong as fuck. The, yeah, John Miller. Oh, he as, ripped. He as he back. what he bench pressed and threw. Uh, what's his name? No, the the pimp. What's his name? It's the Silk. Silk the pimp. Silk. Yeah, <laughs> he was hilarious. 
And that's the like, thing. I mean, there's that's, that's what's great about these, man. We know what we're getting into, and there's entertaining aspects, and, and I, that's all I ask for. You know, so far we've only had the one the one miss that no no retreat. You know, I can't even remember no escape, no retreat, or whatever. Yep. That was probably the worst of the ones because it had the longest points of just complete boredom. But even that one, you know, it had its its parts. So it's like, I mean, as long as they have their little like goofiness, you know, I'm I'm entertained by them. So well, speaking uh, I've been of enjoying the, the Thursday night primers. Sp- speaking of goofiness, I had to just bring this up because I, I actually rewound this to make sure I didn't hear it wrong because I was dying the first time I saw it. But the the first time they show Cynthia Rothrock, she's like out, not the first time in the movie, but the first time they show her like working as an FBI agent. She's in a car by herself and she's like watching the street and she's waiting for a car to show up and she's just talking to herself. And she's just like pissed because she's just sitting there doing nothing. So she's like, okay, so here I am just sitting in the car, just waiting for hours for something to happen. And then she goes, ah, yes, the glorious life of an FBI. I'm like, an FBI what? Did somebody just quit writing the line? Was that a bad fucking ad lib? But quote unquote, ah, yes, the glamorous life of an FBI. And of course, <laughs> I'm like, what I, the fuck was that? I, I prepped for this one with Slade because he had me crying. Oh, I, so, the, he has a, he has a bunch of them. Yeah, the one dude's like, uh, it's Armstrong. He's like, I, you know, it's like when they kind of break, you know, he breaks off like finally. He's like, I won't be a party to murder, and he's just like, I order you to shut up. And, and then the one part, he's like, I thought you lived by the law, of the fist too, Armstrong. But you're just a damn cherry. And then the, the, the crescendo. That's I know. I already film. know this one. I, do, I already do you know, know a nuclear trigger from a Bulgarian dildo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a Bulgarian dildo. This just shows you where I, I was watching this movie at like probably two o'clock in the morning. And I literally wanted to call you after yeah, he's it could, like, dude, he said the Bulgarian dildo line. <laughs> like, no, dude. Too much, man. I was dying. Like, see, that's the thing, man. Like, when it comes to these kind of movies, like, they don't even have to be good. All they got to do is just have some good fight scenes, have some goofy fucking dialogue, and then whenever you throw some shit in there, like fucking Chuck Jeffries just being his goofy-ass self. Like, dude, one of the funniest scenes is when he goes back to the gym and is like... Yeah. Hey, nice to me. He's like, hey, I was just wondering, would it be cool if I get on one of these bags? And when he's punching the heavy bag, he's having flashbacks of the dude beating the shit out of his underlings. And yeah. it is so, because f- they just show the fucking dude just like punching a guy in the face in slow motion like five yeah. times. <laughs> oh, it's it's great. And as always, I always read the, uh, the taglines and for honor and glory, it's, only those with true honor can win the glory. Oh, like, amazing! Way to be creative, there, guys, for honor and glory. But, yeah, because yeah, that's that's why we watch them, man. Yeah, it, this one I really enjoyed, man. I don't know about you, but like, you know, like I said, it was entertaining as shit. It's it is a stupid movie. Like it's incoherent as fuck, and it's but nonetheless, even with all the and I'll be honest too, this is another thing. So I I looked this up because Godfrey Ho 
is the director, and he's on a, a pretty prolific like exploitation director. He's made a ton of stuff. But it was ridiculous because I'm watching this movie and I'm like, dude, does somebody not understand the concept of lighting and not how I normally meet? Normally when I say that, it's like a dark-ass movie. Everything in this movie was like overly lit like a motherfucker. It's like to the point where people look like they're glowing and shit. I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) Did you see uh, the poster? I did. It's hilarious. Yeah, because it's it's Rothrock kicking and Slade's in the background just doing a back pose, but he has those rings on. Which is, so. uh, that scene is the one out of all of them <laughs> that needs to be seen to be believed. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, like I said, I had a total impression, like, okay, Rich, like, kind of a pussy dude with all these, you know, bodyguards. I, I already see what they're getting into. And then they totally just switch that shit up and I'm like wait a minute so now he's like this bad fucking motherfucker like you know it's it's, well, it's, it's like hilarious he, the way they do it he first walks in the restaurant and the, I think it's that dragon dude's like who, who is who is that and he's like Jason Slade and he's like oh Jason Slade and he's like yeah he's that that uh, financer or you know, like, like he's just like a businessman like it's just such the, the weirdest and, and like you said for no reason he wants to buy a nuclear detonator and one thing that I also found funny in in this movie is like, there's a, there's a lot of this, and it's just super cringy now. Going back and watching old stuff like this, where it's like the the Western obsession with like kung fu culture. Like, there's a scene where yeah. Jake Armstrong goes to the uh, what the fuck's her name Donna's house, or I'm sorry, Joyce's house, and they're about to eat lunch. And they break out like chopsticks and shit, and it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like seriously, like no one's doing this. Like I get yeah. it, you like, you know, you're into martial arts, and that's fine, but like it doesn't literally pour over into every aspect of your life. That shit's ridiculous. Like, and they used to do that in movies all the time. Like somebody naturally just has to be making tea with a tea set and shit, and it's like no one's doing that. You live in fucking North Carolina. Yeah, uh, so many, so many in, involuntary comedy moments in this. Um, but again, that's kind of the aspect that makes these man. You, you know, you have the the unintentional comedy, the goofiness, the fight scenes, and you know, the other thing with these is the running time. Like they're only like ninety minutes, so they're, they're these have all been easy watches, even as bad as parts of them have been. So, Honor and Glory is another solid Thursday night prime for me. Hey, y'all. Um, Jay's rating, I'll just give a solid two on this one. Right on. And uh, I liked it, not as much as some of the other ones in the past, but I thought it had enough to be entertaining. So on the uh, scale, I'm going to go with two and a half. Um, so, All right. uh, And I wanted to mention, we didn't even talk about this, but I think you'll be on board with it. Uh, next week, Thursday Night Prime is one of the most interesting movies that I've actually seen on Thursday Night Prime. And uh, it's one that I know you're very familiar with. It is also from 1993. It's directed by Larry Ferguson. And it's such an interesting movie because it has a couple odd, a few stars in this one. And it's not a mainstream movie by any sense of the means. It has Courtney B. Vance. It has Michael Madsen. It has Linda Fiorentino. And it has Charlie Sheen. We're going to talk about Beyond the Law. Beyond the Law. One of my favorites. This might be... 
this might be up there with the top Thursday night primes. And ever. I completely really? agree. It's been a long time since I've seen it, and you mentioned something to me recently that kind of gave me a reason to rewatch this one, and I think it's perfect. So yeah, it's uh, a great call. So Looking stay tuned that. for that next week. That is Beyond the Law from 1993 here on Thursday Night Prime on the What's Real podcast. So we're going to take a quick break, guys, or maybe even take a break, and when we come back, we're going to do our little wrap up and we're going to be talking about some goofs as we normally do so stay tuned guys we'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast granite fabrication incorporated 50 oak road gibsonia pa 15044 phone number 724-252-8995 at phoenix our goal is your happiness it's as simple as that We believe everyone should have the kitchen or bath they've always wanted. You've waited for what seems like a lifetime and have carefully planned it. It can be stressful making sure everything is just right. With that in mind, we will work with you to find the color and materials that work for you, functionality and aesthetically. We believe that you should understand how engineered stone and natural stones perform. We want you to have the beauty that lasts and lasts. It's what you deserve. We take pride in what we do, and there is nothing more rewarding than knowing what we create for you is lasting happiness. Give us a call, send us an email, or stop in to chat. We'll help you transform your kitchen or bath into a thing of beauty. That's Phoenix Granite Fabrication, 50 Oak Road, Gibsonia, PA, 15044. Phone number 724-252-8995. Again, that is 724-252-8995. Nine nine five, And we're back here, and we are finishing up the show this week. Thank you guys for listening. As you do every week, we really do appreciate it. Just wanted to take a quick moment out to remind everybody, if you're on iTunes and listening to the show, or even if you're not, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a five-star review. really helps with all the algorithms, and we like hearing uh, as much stuff as we can from our audience. And you can always reach us by email, so if you have any comments, questions, concerns, you want to swear at us, you want to rant incessantly, feel free to do it by email. Send it to us at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that is whatsrealpod at gmail.com. And as well, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at whatsrealpod1. So that's it. So what do you got for us this week, the J? This week, the first goof that is a goof, as goofs are goof segment, is none other than maybe one of the biggest goofs coming from the recent modern sporting world. And that is one Johnny Football himself, Johnny Manziel. People might be wondering, what's Johnny Manziel up to in 2020? Well, there's a new viral video online that you can see of Johnny Manziel cliff diving. And he isn't the most graceful cliff diver that ever lived. Let's just say that. Hey, you Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, most people aren't up on the day-to-days of Johnny Football. Uh, being the goof that he fucking is. I watched that, and I was like, what the hell is this even going to be? And then I saw it and was like cracking the fuck up because he gets destroyed. <laughs> he basically is going to do a backflip or something cool on this cliff, and uh, he just bites it and just slips off and then falls all goofy so <laughs> off if, a cliff. So if you dislike him um, like yeah. I do, you'll probably enjoy it. Um, you know, I got a kick out of it to say the least. So, you know, he basically does a, a classic back smacker. I wonder, is he even playing anymore? Any, like anywhere? Is he still in no, Canada? No, he didn't even do the no? XFL. So yeah, he, I heard he asked for too much money, which is yeah. hilarious to me. 
yeah, you know, he's just, you know, you don't like to see people like really struggling, but considering he appears to be a bit of a douche, it's like you kind of reap what you sow kind of situation. So what I say to you, hey, y'all, I've said in the past as well, Johnny Manziel, man, just reminds me of the goose or goose. The goose, indeed. So that's it for us here on the show this week, guys. Hope you enjoyed everything. We really appreciate you joining us. Don't forget to join us next week where we're going to be talking more about the dark side of the ring on the Road Warriors. We're also got a, a really good episode of Thursday Night Prime coming up with Beyond the Law from 1993 and much, much more as well as the last dance, last two episodes next week. Uh, that's going to be a bummer for sure when that ends. But uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, covering those things on the show. So thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. For sure, man. Taking it home as the Jay does. Not to be somber, but since we started this thing, yet another personal loss. Uh, one of our own under the Churchill Pictures family. Um, my partner in Churchill Pictures, uh, Damien, his older brother, Vinny, passed away from cancer uh, recently. Uh, so shout out to Vinny. Uh, he was a, always a great guy to me. Uh, the Fusca family is like a second family. Uh, Cam, you know, Cam did a, a, a shout out at the beginning of the show for him. We dedicated this episode, uh, but just shout out to Vinny and a wonderful life. And we'll miss you, brother. Uh, thanks to Cam, as always, our producer behind the boards, the wizard behind the magic. He's the man. Love the show. Hey, Il, brother from another mother. Appreciate you, man. Keeping my pandemic entertaining. Always looking forward to our recording. Uh, hopefully those hearing my voice are having a good time with us and enjoying our take on our world and our topics. Uh, love you guys. I'll you'll hear me next week. Thanks to Jay. Appreciate that, man. Uh, shout out and thank you to our producer Cam for putting together the show every week. The Jay, appreciate you sitting down with me every week as we do here on the show. And uh, obviously as well, my condolences out to the Fusca family uh, on the loss of Vinny. Um, rest in peace as well and uh thank you guys for listening stay healthy stay safe we'll see you next week what's real the real question is what's real is episode 20 i believe uh does that sound right 20 that's right man big 20th anniversary of 20 straight weeks, 20 episodes right. starting in uh, January 2020. It's a 2020, 2020, 2020 <laughs> episode. <laughs> All right, let's start over. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, that was good, actually. <laughs>